afternoon you glorious son of a bitch how's things uh life's pretty good i'm sitting out here on the deck uh i decided against doing this podcast from my bed uh well mate as as a uh, chiropractor you should know better about sitting in an l position in a in a bed that just adds stupid amount of load to your but mind you i was quite jealous that you managed to uh to just be <laughs> lounging around in bed at the middle of the uh middle of the day well done well Gotta done. love Mondays. Mondays uh, are awesome. I've had a very productive day. I've done my my brunch uh, planning schedule for the week. Uh, so went and had breakfast late with my lovely wife. Dropped the kids at school, and then uh, started discussing how the week's going to go. Hopefully today is the day that the the lawsuit against the uh, previous cryo supply company gets introduced to the courts, and uh, my life gets to be a little less anxious. Mate, that's fantastic. Well, my, it will my, be. Uh, Monday, on the other hand, um, so after a sleep, my little girl is sick at the moment, so oh. me, neither me or the wife is sleeping. I still decided to wake up at um, 5.30 and rush off to BJJ for an hour. Good idea. Uh, that's but then never a, a bad way to deal. On the drive home, I managed somehow to pick up a giant bloody nail in one of my tires so oh no there's there's an hour of my life gone at the local tire repair shop fixing fixing that uh and then get home and then just this is the week that i do pays an admin for um for well when i say i do it what i really mean is my wife does it but i I sit there and 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 give her the data and she does it all for me uh nevertheless it is quite stressful Um, yes but uh yeah so polar opposites and then funnily enough um yeah i'm i'm yeah, up to my second coffee of the day. Uh, <laughs> Monday has not quite kicked my ass a little bit, but um, no, no, I, I hope, have. Um, I, it's, I'd imagine that. me just having that little whinge. There are going to be people out there who have genuinely gone through a tough day, uh, and they're listening yep. to me rant about my bullshit. And, oh, poor Eric! <laughs> what a diddums. Yeah, well, the, this this morning uh, I've been informed by my lovely wife that uh, she's already done the pace uh, for the week, for last week. And uh, we, because of the lawsuit uh, and having to keep everything funded while I still pay the bank for the, l- the machine that doesn't work, etc., I've had to let two staff members go. And so, this is the first week that uh, we only pay one staff member. Uh, that's got to be a little bit easier to manage. Well, it, it is, but it means that the family's taken a bit of a hit. Uh, yep. Nikki's... Um, you know, yeah, uh, step in. Step in. The kids are having to rally around. The busing to work after school. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of change, and of course, we had a bit of stress around that. Of you know, uh, my littlest one catching the bus by herself straight after school, coming into work, and you know, there's a lot of growth that comes out of it. But we again had a fair bit of anxiety uh, with the what if something goes wrong, and it, it, and, and and you work up these things through your head, stressing mm. yourself, and the the what-ifs and the, the maybes. Um, fortunately, everything's basically gone swimmingly. And overall, I think the uh, the family's come together fairly well because of it. That's um, a, uh, a very neat segue. So, um, I mean, briefly off where we had a, a quick chat about the topic of the day um, being sort of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, uh, but, yeah, just with me having a little whinge uh, and then you having <laughs> a, a little whinge, uh, let's let's talk briefly about um, sort of stresses in the eye of the beholder. Yes. Um, so, like my perception of what is stressful may be drastically different to what someone else's level of stress may be, um, and it's yeah, very much you, you stress out or the the physiological problems that go along with stress is very much on how you perceive an event to be stressful rather than that's it. That's yeah. really it. So, the way I define stress for my uh, my patients and, and myself is anything that challenges the body in any way, shape or form that requires adaptation. So, eating something good for you is stressful. Eating something bad for you is stressful. Getting happy is stressful because it releases adrenaline and cortisol. Getting unhappy 
is a stress because so what it comes down to is whether your adaptation brings you in a positive direction, which invariably comes down to your perspective and your learned experiences. So lots of people win a million bucks and they get really stressed and depressed by it. Whereas mm. I'd look at winning a million bucks and go, oh, I can do this and I can take time off to go and do some full-time study and I can employ it. Yeah. And I can think of all these really positive, happy things that a million bucks uh, would bring. But when you look at the uh, the end results of people winning the lotto, ending up with no money at the end of it, really mm. messed up and stressed and depressed, it comes down to how your brain perceives it and what direction your pre-programming has gone in that makes you think good or bad things about it. Was that a uh, interesting seminar? Um, shout out to Luke Curry from KC Sports Cairo. Um, but um, one of the things they were talking about, specifically in the realm of exercise rehab or exercise science, was that there's your um, physiological um, uh, sort of potential or, or what you can physiologically manage, uh, um, which is like the easy zone, doesn't cause any tissue trauma. Um, it's basically your everyday function. Uh, and then above that is your sort of um, more, more stressful style exercises, which is still less than traumatic. So it's sort of more than what your body can is geared for, um, but not enough to cause trauma. And then if you go beyond that, you're hurting yourself. Um, and then the, the goal of exercise was to sort of hit that red band sort of beyond what the body can tolerate, but not so far that you're going into trauma. But um, it was also you, you don't necessarily want to stay in that above what your body can um, comfortably handle for, for too long. But I, I imagine there's a fair bit of crossover with uh, anything that's stressful. Like if you're having uh, having to study, 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 study for a, an exam that's coming up, um, you can sustain that sort of beyond what your brain is currently geared for for a short amount of time. But if you stay in that red band for too long, uh, there's going to be problems associated with that. Um, do you feel – because w- when some people are, are, are going from a um, – so let's say um, I, like I have stressful days where I'm at, at the clinic for 12 hours straight and it's, and it's go, 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 go. And I, can, I generally um, can do two or three of those a week. Um, but if I if I get more than that, then I start to break down. Uh, I, can, I lose track of things and, and nothing works. So I've made sure I don't do that anymore. Um, however, there are people out there who are doing significantly more. Um, so that's where um, – and then there's other people who have been burnt out by that. So do you want to comment on the um, – what's the difference between <clears throat> um, me sort of sustaining like two full days like that and developing the – like adapting to that and then being able to do that for four days and five days uh, like some people do um, versus people that do two or three days of lots and lots of work uh, and then start to crumble underneath it and then say, look, I can't I can't sustain that. I can only do one full day and then pretty soon they can't even do that. They're only down to half days, um, you know, see chronic fatigue. Sure. So there's, there's a couple of interesting ways of looking at that one, I think, uh, one of which I'm basically going to use a very uh, touchy-feely word called joy. Um, <laughs> and I think I think joy is a really important part of the answer to that because there's, there's two ways of answering it. One is the biopsychosocial uh, catch cry, which is where joy comes in. And the other is just purely a, uh, a biochemical, biophysiological response. Mm. And so, in both camps you have the biophysiological response. So, no matter what, you have to generate enough energy to generate enough brain to move the muscle to do a 12-hour day back-to-back patient and come out the other side of it. And what's meant to occur is that you finish the day and you have a sleep and you eat and you refuel and you get up and you do it again. And theoretically, if your brain can tolerate it, you can do that, okay? Hmm. So, You can teach your body, as I have done, to learn and adapt to to 12-hour days. Generally speaking, I start seeing patients about 7 a.m. and I will generally finish seeing patients somewhere between about 6 and 7 p.m. most days of the week. Hmm. So, I'm in that stupid category, but I have much longer appointment times probably than most other chiropractors out there do. Generally speaking, my appointment times are about a half an hour long, so to actually uh, stay in business, I actually need to run, uh, mm. you know, more uh, time to see less people because of that long rather than, you know, 10-minute slots where you see two or three patients kind of 
across the board. I just don't do that sort of thing. But <laughs> Curse of ethics, mate. Yeah, well, I want actually people to become well. I think that's really the, <laughs> that's really the point <laughs> is the, the, the difference in it is probably that if you feel emotionally that there is a joyous light at the end of the tunnel, a payoff, a benefit, then mm. the physical output gives you enough hit of dopamine and serotonin and endorphins that you can look at your work and feel good about it, that it was worthwhile. And this actually entrains you to feel that the output that you did to get to whichever endpoint is beneficial to you. Whereas if all you're doing is going, I did 12 hours and I earned X amount of money, we'll say $1,000. You know, we did did a full day, we earned $1,000. And then you get to look at like on Monday and you look at your books and you go, and i got to pay that and i got to pay that. And if all we're doing is looking at it as an endpoint, which mm. has no intangible. Now, note what I'm saying. Money is still, while it's an intangible real concept because it's a placeholder mm. for anything of value, we can still touch dollar notes and we can still look at a computer screen with zeros and ones and go, mm. right, that's money. And if all you're doing is doing it to chase the money, then the 12 hours of work to earn that $1,000 really doesn't provide you a sense of mm. of anything, a connection, a purpose. And I think that's really what creates, yeah, the why is is what creates the stress. It's the perception and that's why everything is actually stressful, whether it's a joyous thing or not, it's just how your brain teaches you to adapt to it. And Mm. I've been studying a, a concept, I was reading a book and still am recently called Lost Connections. Mm. And it's particularly pertinent as my my middle daughter, uh, may she never hear this because I'm talking about her, um, has um, a diagnosis, amongst other things, of anxiety, Mm. uh, social anxiety, and finds it really difficult to talk to people. And so one of the things that I've been doing is trying to actually give us, as a family, a sense of identity. Mm. So I've got an identity. I'm the, um, the odd Cairo chap kind of slash nutrition, medicine, slash kind of whatever I am. Mm. And I'm happy with what I am. And I'm the person that people will kind of attend uh, when all the other practitioners have sort of failed. I get those sorts Mm. of referrals and chronic cases. And I've built my own personal image around that. But my daughters, uh, some of them are born in New Zealand. Some of them are born in Australia. My wife's born in England. Mm. I've got American citizenship as well. We don't have a solid identity or group or otherwise Mm. and i think this actually creates a great degree of stress for my daughters even Mm. though you know like someone from the outside would look at them and go right well you live in a nice middle class neighborhood you don't want for food you don't want for clothes you've always got enough data on your iphone you know there's Mm. nothing that they actually want for yet they still have stress Mm. they have anxiety and so it's got to be a bit more than just a, a a lack of biochemistry. Mm. Um, however, that said, after having run my daughter's um, her, her hormone test, mm. uh, you know how I was somewhat um, disparaging of other people's uh, hormone levels on it? Mm. Um, this is one of those really odd moments. My daughter's cortisol level was literally off the chart. Oh, right. Um, off the chart high or off the chart low? High. Hmm. So, it was about the range again above where it should have been. Okay, well. Her daily melatonin, because she doesn't sleep, she's used melatonin for a while hmm. um, as prescribed by the pediatrician. And so, it's meant to be daily melatonin's got an upper limit of 85. Hmm. Hers was 4,400. Whoa. Okay. So, there's no it's chance. still not sleeping. And still not sleeping. No, no, wow. no. Chronically okay. tired. So, where this becomes a problem is we've been trying to biochemically balance her system and deal with things. And, mm. you know, we're doing all the right things. And so, now I'm taking a much more biopsychosocial concept going, right, mm. well, I know my daughter is stressed. I know that if anyone kind of outside looked in and went, well, 
you want for nothing, et cetera, et cetera. You know, she's got loving parents that she can kind of say, yeah, but I don't feel you love me. I'm not connected. Mm. And that's really what I think it comes down to. Because we don't have a solid identity, we can't say, oh, look, I'm Greek, I'm Macedonian, I'm, what's Mm. a Kiwi? Mm. What's an Australian? Mm. You know, my my Australian-born daughter doesn't even get to count as an Australian because we're in the quasi-indiscriminate spot of being New Zealand citizens, which means we don't really count as permanent residents, but we're not New Zealanders anymore either after 15 years. Hmm. Queenslander, but you still go for the All Blacks. Uh, no, I don't. I go for the Wallabies. We got smashed. Ah, see, that's that you well and truly assimilated. That's uh, you're fine. Yeah, no, but I mean, look, we're going to keep that on the low low because <laughs> Argentina smashed us, man. That's <laughs> not not a great sign. <laughs> but I think to to your point, um, uh, there, there's a good book that I, I haven't read myself, but I've heard reference to. But they they do talk about the. Um, the importance of being involved in a, a group culture or, you know, that 150 friends or um, after 150 people, you can't really, uh, you lose coherence in that in that group. Absolutely. Um, but uh, I think you touched on a really good point where with any sort of anxiety and stress case, yeah, you can bash on the, the, the whatever the mechanistic cause for it may be from a nutritional substrate mm. to a, um, you know, there could be vestibular compromise or, or, you know, brains just become hardwired for stress. Um, this but is you it. really need to be collaborating with someone who can touch on that um, biopsychosocial. Because, I mean, that's certainly well outside my, my uh, um, realm of expertise. But uh, See, I don't yeah, think that, that, it is. I think, I think realistically, one of the things uh, that, chiropractors I think do really well is we tend to connect with our patients. Mm. Now, uh, we look at the wellness model and especially the wellness people. And while you and I might not necessarily agree with uh, how they necessarily do things, um, you know, the just adjust them and adjust them and adjust them approach might not work. What they do do really well is they talk to their patients and they connect with their patients and they give them another storyboard to reference themselves from. And I think that's one of the things that really makes a difference to to people out there is not whether their spine gets manipulated or they get given a pill or otherwise. It's that they're listened to and that they're given another way of looking at themselves and referencing themselves in the world to feel secure. And we practitioners tend to do that better, or, or so the reports go, than many others. And, and the most successful mm. practitioners of any variety out there tend to be the ones that actually connect to, listen to, and, and touch. And you can use that word very kind of loosely. You touch mm. meaning kind of connect to the, the spirit of the person, the being, or as much as anything. I think one of the reasons why... Uh, physical practitioners, physios, chiros, massage therapists, etc., do well, is mm. we actually touch. We sensorially mm. integrate with our patients, and touch is one of the most important things for decreasing anxiety. We well, it's know. interesting um, with um, – have you read that um, Susan Herdman's book? Uh, it's the Vestibular Rehabilitation. I've forgotten the full name of it. Um, but it, 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 there's a paper that I'm pretty sure she didn't come up with, but she may have referenced. It talks about um, in the ideal um, human, um, as you're walking around with your eyes open, um, 60% of what you use to orientate yourself is proprioceptive. Yes. Uh, and then 20% is vestibular and the last last little bit is, is ocular. Yep. Um, but then as we age we tend to become more vision dominant because we we lose that effective proprioceptive uh, input either through chronic like B12. lack of stimulation, but well, yeah, B12, nutritional um, consequences, <laughs> let alone, um, you know, the ankle roll that you did 30 years yep. ago never really got sorted. Um, and then we also know that the vestibular compromise tends to increase as we age. So, yeah, you become increasingly vision dominant. Mm. Um, so, anyone who does restore that sort of proprioceptive, like that touch, uh, you know, that can be a huge, huge thing for restoring not a normal sense of, um, yeah, orientation or view in your space because, I mean, I, I do a fair bit of vestibular rehab work and, and certainly mm. one of the biggest drivers for anxiety 
I mean, obviously, I'm getting a, a skewed skewed population because people are coming in to to get vestibular rehab, and then I happen to be going. So, are sure. you anxious? And they're like, "Yeah, well, of course. I I don't know which way down is." Yeah, but um, most of them won't say that specifically. No, most of them unfortunately will go. Not. Yes, I'm anxious, and mm. then you create a storyboard for them. I would suggest saying, mm. "Well, look, if you don't know which way up and down is, your anxiety will go up, and that's really normal. And because you're actually telling them that it's normal because of this problem, mm. they go, "Oh, that makes sense," and and they can actually relax about it because. As I put it to you, anxiety is the monster chasing you that you can't see. You know it's there, but mm. you can't see it. And you're like, something's wrong. Yeah. And because no one kind of puts an appropriate meaning story or explanation for it, mm. Mm. they stay winding. And this really makes a mess of their brain. Yeah, you're right. There is something powerful about um understanding the mechanism behind anxiety or, or putting a yeah a storyboard to the beast um, so yeah. that you can start to break it down into chunk-sized pieces and, and beat it up. Eat it. <laughs> um, the other one that you did, you know, you were out there this morning doing it, is jujitsu. That's one of the, the – it's something I describe or prescribe for my patients as a treatment if they are high-stress, low proprioceptive. Because, of course, you get to stimulate the vestibular proprioceptive systems by rolling around. You've mm. got a whole bunch of touch. You're in people's deep personal space, which is something mm. most people nowadays, and maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but people really find getting in personal space really stressful. Mm. And this, I think, is made much worse by the, the devices and the phones and the computers that we're all doing our work on. Yeah, you're right. Divorced from the rest of the world. Correct. There is there is also from the biopsychosocial aspect something quite powerful to the camaraderie or the community of of oh. um, you know wrestling a dude for an hour and then yeah, trying yeah. to choke each other out and then afterwards you you know best mates it's kind of like you know you go out drinking for someone for the first time and then all of a sudden you're best pals afterwards. That's yeah, yeah absolutely. That I think, um, actually, uh, yeah. Again, Luke Curry was was talking to me about there was a paper um, where they looked at motivation levels amongst crossfitters compared to um average gym goers mm -hmm. um and the yeah, motivation levels for exercises were like through the charts um obviously for crossfitters yep. it's the only reason why they do that bullshit in the first place um but uh yeah it was very much that sense of of uh team culture and, and group group camaraderie that so uh, my question there is were they highly motivated people to start with, or did the group drive their motivation to come up? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I can't answer the question. It just seems mm. that people who are high kind of alpha type personalities gravitate mm. to that sort of thing in the first place. But, you know, literally earlier on, I was driving back from my, um, my breakfast planning and there was this CrossFit gym uh, and, and I was looking at it and I, I thought of one of my friends. And it went, you know, I wonder about that, that concept of uh, the belonging is really the reason people get, and, and hence it might get called mm. a bit cultish from time to time, and that we're really doing it not for our fitness or otherwise, but because I now have a tribe. I identify mm. Mm. with these people because I was actually a high anxiety unrooted, so to speak, you know, no tribe mm. culture or otherwise. And I was thinking about it because this is a friend that I have in New Zealand uh, and someone I deeply respect and admire, but like they can actually interconnect with a lot of the culture in New Zealand, uh, the Māori, they, they use a lot of words that I wouldn't naturally use, which are very New Zealand Kiwi orientated. Mm. And, and so they, they, again, were hunting in certain ways to integrate into something mm. um it just you know makes me wonder mm. yeah that's um all interesting points but um i also I, the other thing i wanted to um bring up with you uh, today um because like uh, one thing that i do want to talk about is what like step by step from our point of view what someone uh, with anxiety now obviously we're not trained psychologists so uh every, everything should be run by your appropriate practitioner if you're mm. listening to this and you've got anxiety and you're thinking maybe it'd be a good idea to 
Run reach out. So yeah, no matter what, think, reach out. Find yeah. someone, anyone. Start with a friend. Start with a uh, a mate at the gym, a rugby club. Yeah. Well, let, why don't we speak. talk about it now? Let, so, yep. like the first first um, thing that someone who's having a panic attack, panic attack, or that background anxiety, is is find that tribe that you can identify with. Uh, yeah. E- yeah. Even if it's another person with anxiety to share your yeah importance of tribe. It's yeah, be, absolutely. You need we need connection. Mm. Uh, from there, uh, ideally, find someone who is actually uh, sophisticated and capable with the right tools of helping deal uh, both mentally and physically. The mm. the importance, if you feel bad enough, of utilizing pharmaceuticals cannot be overstated. Mm. The evidence shows that that pharmacological support in the short term. Uh, can be life-saving. Yeah, you know? well, yeah, that's why it's there. Absolutely. So, if if you're in a really bad spot and your anxiety is that high, you're feeling suicidal, speak to a GP, speak mm. to a psychiatrist, get some support that way. Um, mm. We know that that boosting up serotonin levels is really helpful. We also know that a lack of serotonin is, by and large, not the cause of depression and anxiety. Mm. We know that if you give someone drugs to to block serotonin, they get a boost in their cognitive performance equally as much as you if you uh, add uh, and lift serotonin in the system. What's interesting actually is that the uh, experiments done on giving uh, antidepressants, et cetera, to people with anxiety and depression shows mm-hmm. that you get about a 1.8 uh, point lift in the Hamilton depression score. Now, what's really cool is that if you alter your sleep pattern, you get about a six-point lift. Now, yeah. So, we know that these drugs work and we know that they are not the be-all and end-all. But there's several factors. Is If you're in a tight spot, they're a really good tool to lift you and hold you still mm. while you get nurtured. And yeah, I think the, I think the connection is really the biggest thing that makes the difference. We know that long-term use of these drugs doesn't – once you get past a certain point, and I think it's like 24 months as max, you don't get any or don't appear to get any greater uh, lift in your anxiety and depressive scores. That's interesting. Well, that so, makes sense from a neurological burnout point of view. There's only so long absolutely. to those receptors before they need a reset. And so you need to be seeking other support. Don't just rely on, on, on drugs. They will help yeah. you. But you need to utilize the services of that GP to go, right, can you send me to someone that I can talk to? Can I get a counselor? Can I get a psychologist? Uh, Can I Mm. join a rugby team? And again, that's actually one of the reasons why I send people for jiu-jitsu yet again, because Mm. of the camaraderie. But one of the reasons uh, that I use it is people often have high levels of fear. There's been abuse in their background. Mm. They've been physically Mm. assaulted. There's nothing like training your body to get stronger and more capable to help get rid of your nameless fear. Like Mm. learning to be able to move and not just feel vulnerable all the time makes a huge impact on people. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, just my thoughts. Because it, it's got to be um, – because there is it, – that's almost getting into like the mindfulness meditation mm. style. Like you need something to block out the fear of, of tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and whether that's worrying about you – know, or learning how to – Choke out the guy that's attacking you, or or learning how to. Um, <laughs> well, it worked yeah, for me. It, some, it brought some, my anxiety down. Yeah. So, so whether it's it's um, a physical exercise of that nature, like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu martial arts, or um, any form of movement based exercise, proprioceptive boost that gets you focused on the here and now, where you can't worry about tomorrow. That's it. Because, um, like, I mean, for some people, that could be you know going out and running a couple of k. Um, See, I don't like, recommend that one, and I try and stop my patients doing it. Well, I, I just, yeah, all forms of cardio no, to me are taboo. That's ah. just- <laughs> no, no, specifically running. And th- there's a reason why I try and get them not to do that, because lots of patients will come and say, yeah, yeah, okay, I love running. And mm. these are high-anxiety patients according to their scores and their, their responses. And you go, right, okay. So, I don't really want you to do that one, because running's actually all about getting away, isn't it? And so, when you're high anxiety, all you're actually doing is- point of view. Correct. So, I just don't see it as the right thing for someone who's necessarily Mm. high anxiety because you could be reinforcing the motor patterns associated with being stressed. Mm. 
No, so I'm really sure there are other people. Go for a short sprint, tackle someone, take a bite out of them, and because that's that's getting you, you know, you run the bite. The bite I was I was drawing the line at, but the bite rest the of it, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. the, run the footy, yeah, <laughs> and then just make sure. So, look, thank you. You've helped me immensely with my anxiety today. <laughs> uh, and then sprint off and tackle the next guy and then thank them and say, look, thank you, mate. I feel much better. Uh, there, could be, there could be something to that. Yeah. Uh, so, um, just I certainly in case know that if I like anyone, run up and kick my brother in the balls, I feel so much better afterwards. That drops the anxiety. Just in case anyone was taking us seriously, this is humour. Humor. <laughs> yeah. This is the caveat here. In a bad way, really quickly. The uh, waiver is there. Conditions yeah. apply. There's an asterisk on every single word of this seminar. Uh, this seminar so, yeah. this, I learned uh, something from dealing with Brett. We, we were meant to be sensible. Sensible. Yeah, that's probably we should start. I was listening to one of the other podcasts, and I think we probably let it go a little bit too much. I'm like, oh, uh, that that could get us. Ah, bugger! It's out there now. I guess yeah, it's out there. There's no point getting too stressed. This is meant yeah, to be yeah. a bit of information, a bit of humour. Fear of but tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Other things that I would do. Obviously, I will look at someone's diet because, again, one of yeah, the I things that say, I try and look don't. at with all my patients. Everything is brain-based. Everything is resource management. If you had the resources to do it properly, you would do a better job. Mm. So, we know categorically that the network that is our beautiful nervous system requires building blocks. It requires B vitamins and proteins, and it requires iron, and it requires oxygen, and it requires all these good circulatory things coming to the cells to actually make the mitochondria work, to make mm. the neurotransmitters actually talk, uh, make the cells talk to one another and actually sets off the responses. So, mm. again, if we think about making adrenaline, you require iron to make adrenaline, okay? You require B vitamins to make adrenaline. You need the nutrients going in. So, if you're on a really poor diet that's high mm. inflammatory, um, omega six. So, so basically, you've you've listened to to whichever fad person out there that said, yeah, 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 yeah. Low fat's the only way to go. But if you're going to do it, get onto these uh, polyunsaturated fats. So it's got no cholesterol in it. That's going to stop your heart attack, and that's great because that's kind of the message that you hear out there all the time. You know, mm. low cholesterol is good, and polyunsaturates is good. And so they're eating this. Uh, Fast food, let's call it that, mm. or comfort foods because of stress. Because when we're stressed, our brains are really programmed to hunt for sweet and salt and fat because mm. these are survival energy foods. And mm. so, you know, think of a pack of crisps. That is ultimate food. It's full of fat. It's full of carbohydrates and it's full of salt. Okay? But those low cholesterol oils, high omega-6, tip our ratios way the wrong direction and mm. make us highly inflammatory. And we know that high inflammation and too much omega-6 is really bad for the brain. It is, yeah, that catch-22 between the um, – you crave the foods that give you that an initial immediate energy boost. But Correct. in actual fact, driving you the wrong way as far as your background anxiety and cortisol yep. levels. Um, what Alcohol was the name being the favorite that, one. <laughs> the test we did on me as far as the um – Stress, stress cortisol levels go? Dutch was test. It? Dutch test. Yeah. Dutch test. Yeah, that, um, yeah, yeah be worth, worth the money in my experience. Absolutely. It's an awesome test. Mm. Um, and again, it gives you a very practical uh, ability to determine, you know, what all of your hormones are doing at that moment in time. And maybe it's not mm. the most absolute. Some people will say that there's more accurate tests out there. Great. We'll do that one. But- it's one I found very versatile, it's useful, it's easy to perform for the mm. average patient, and it will give you a day snapshot, so to speak, of them. Now, mm. from there, you can go and do something. And again, like in my daughter's case, after running it, we've got her on some adaptogenic herbs to try and calm the adrenal glands down, and we've got her on mm. some uh, herbs to try and clear the liver and the estrogen to try and get... Um, some of the, the, the hormones and the melatonin out of the system so that we can get a reboot going on. And I'm trying to get her to do more physical exercise and I'm trying to focus on that psychosocial connection to mm. give her an identity because how many teenagers have a great sense of self? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, good luck. No one, no, that none of them generally are feeling really good about themselves. And then when they have this 
heightened chemical stress going on in the system because they don't sleep. It just mm. winds and winds and winds. So again, for my patients, apart from the physical movement and looking at the basic diet would take away, you know, high omega-6 foods, would take away uh, a lot of the processed sugars and mm. carbohydrates. I would generally find that most of my patients will end up off of things like gluten or dairy. Now, mm. we'll trial them off it for a period of time and then we can run blood tests or otherwise to try and see if they've got actual problems with it. Mm. Uh, they, it may be just that they were overloading on comfort food, so to speak, and they're not mm. actually allergic or maladaptive to gluten. But, you know, if you take mm. gluten away from them for a period of time regardless, you can't just stop at the servo and pick up junk while you're getting your, your petrol on the way home. You can't quickly grab a snack. You actually have to stop and think. Hmm. And stopping and thinking means that your drive to pick up comfort food goes down. Hmm. I, I heard this great thing called the apple test. It's very, very simple. You know, brain says, I'm hungry, feed me. Other part of the brain goes, right, here's an apple. Do you want to eat that? Bad part of the brain goes, nah, mate, I want chippies. I want ah, you're not actually hungry. You just want a hit of dopamine and serotonin. No, 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 no. And so you don't eat. And I think that's a really neat, neat kind of descriptor. Um, one of my Sounds daughters will just- exactly like my four-year-old. Yeah, yeah. No, no, for real. Because we're not really using our frontal lobes. We're using our, our kind of innate brain, let's say, the, the unconscious brain that, that wants mm. another hit of dopamine. I want to feel good. Make it good for me. Mm. I'm stressed. And what we want at that moment is sweet salt fat. Mm. Oh, and guess what those evil biotechnologists did? To a degree I wish I'd completed. I was sharing a lot of the same papers at university when I went through. I did biochemical physiology originally, mm. and I could, like, Auckland University Med School ran my course as well as uh, biotechnology had come out for the first time. And I was really intrigued by that course. And I now kind of, as I've gone on more into nutrition, I wish I'd actually done my major in biotechnology, uh, mm. specifically food science, because, you know, that's the stuff that teaches us why. Why do I want to keep hunting for that food mm. when I know yeah, it's not good for me? And yeah. we know that these food technologists work upon our innate hunt to actually keep making us buy stuff that's not good for us. Cheeky buggers. They've definitely got that science down, Pat. Oh, so good. I wish I had so no it, ethics. Yeah. <laughs> it would I, would, make things I would make the perfect so, saleable food. You don't want this. <laughs> So, so in summary, um, anxiety attack or anxiety prone people, um, do whatever you need to do from a pharmacological point of view to get out of Dodge. Uh, sure, find, absolutely. Find a tribe uh, and yeah. a counsellor. Uh, look at diet, take out all the crappy stuff, um, yep. and then if need be, start going down the, the rabbit hole of advanced testing to see exactly what's going on from a hormonal and a biochem point of view sure. and fix accordingly uh, and then find some form of physical exercise that is strenuous enough to get you out of your own headspace. That that works for me. That's exactly <laughs> what I want people doing. Live in the moment. As, as a nice little quick plug for your clinic, yeah. mate, do you want to talk about the importance of cryochamber therapy with, um, with anxiety? <laughs> um, well hey, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome, especially as we have a new one coming in. Cryomed, thank you very much. Uh, we'll have one in, in the next two weeks and I'll uh, have far less anxiety myself, I can guarantee <laughs> you, with my new cry cryosauna <laughs> coming. <laughs> uh, but no, realistically, one of the great things about uh, cryo for it is it, it drops all the inflammation out of the system. So that three-minute sudden cold, so you go from like 25 degrees to the chamber's minus 190 degrees, back to 25, shunts all the blood around and is shown to activate those sirtuin genes to elongate your longevity, alter circulation, alter the uh, use of energy in the mitochondria and make you vastly more efficient. Now, this is shown to drop all the oxidative stress out of your system. And by shunting the blood back out again, of course, your body gets a sudden boost and uh, endorphin release from the, mm. uh, the circulatory tree. And as soon as you get a burst of endorphins, your brain goes, oh, I feel good. I survived. Oh, actually, I've got a mate who uh, told me an interesting story um, just last night. Um, mm -hmm. 
He did this. Th- so, um, you know, roommate who remain. He's never going to listen to this, but he'll remain late. <laughs> um, but uh, um, yeah, history of of bad we'll call depression. Him Bob. Yeah, Bob. So Bob. Bob's got bad depression um, for yep. for several years to the point of hospitalisation, uh, oh, and no. then recently, uh, his his missus of three years just up and walked out on him. Um, so yeah, he's been better, okay. but he did this thing over the weekend, um, which sounds insane when he was describing it to me. But now that I'm thinking about it, from that you survived something, endorphin release. It sort of clears your mental state point of view. It was kind of clever, um, but basically what was evolved, it's um. It's not camp for it starts with a C, but it's it's basically um, a process that or a thing that they do in the Amazon rainforest where they they um, scrape the backs of poisonous frogs and collect the poisonous blah. Yep. And he was telling me how he um, yeah they 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 make a quick burn on your skin and then drip this C whatever it is um, onto yep. the area makes you violently ill for thirty minutes, mm-hmm. uh, and then they do another thing where they um, he. Did a, like it's apparently the most pain you can physically go through without causing trauma to your eyeballs. Where he he did drops of this stuff into his eyes, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, horrific pain for three minutes. But then um, on the other side of it, it was that that endorphin release of hey, I just went through the worst possible pain imaginable and I survived it. And and there's that um, brain reset for now. I certainly would not suggest to anyone. To go and do that, but I can understand the the um, the why know, the why behind it from that that brain reset point of view, that, um, and so then you can start to see why some people do those you know those magic mushrooms that um, get you as close to death. Is that the ayahuasca that ayahuasca yeah. is is what they've they've been using in the the Amazon rainforests etc. and um, South America from a shamanic point of view to reset all the the deep connections. Uh, mm. There's some really interesting stuff out there on low-dose LSD for the same sorts of things because it reconnects portions of your brain that mm. uh, that get disconnected. Um, there's a few other things. Oxytocin nasal sprays might help in those particular instances, and that might be something which uh, could be useful for people with real social anxiety and difficulty connecting to people because oh, it helps make connections. There's really yeah. good research in the autistic kids. Um, whereby well, children- isn't that one of the rumors about casinos where they they get oxytocin floating around their air ducts to to make you feel all warm and fuzzy while you're throwing away your <laughs> your well earned cash? <laughs> to Sounds be honest, like I, d- I don't know, but uh, it might work. It might absolutely. Um, I I don't frequent enough casinos because um, I don't have enough money myself to throw away in a casino. Um, my one experience with a casino was in Vegas, and I, uh, I started with a hundred bucks. Yes, um, played roulette, got it up to four hundred and fifty bucks, uh, and then was walking around with a couple of mates. And at the same time, um, there was a I think it was like Pussycat Doll promotion or something like that, um, yep. which is essentially blackjack, where there was a rather fetching lady in a bikini yes. um, as the dealer. And then, mm. funnily enough, I could not focus on, uh, well, uh, two things at once. <laughs> <laughs> not enough <laughs> blood in your system. You are. Well, I, I couldn't, I couldn't focus on three things at once. And, and and funnily enough, my $450 went to $0 rather quick so at Isn't that point amazing? in time. Oh, yeah, I, I decided, you know what? Gambling's not for me. Um, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but. Yeah, um, not, not for me either. Uh, yeah. I have children to take my money away quite so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, because from that um, brain reset or the, the mushrooms, um, apparent, I think in Amsterdam now, it's now um, sort of uh, under the same category as pot. Like it's it's legalized to take ah. some form of mushroom. I don't know that it's the ayahuasca, but it's, it's um, you know, a mild hallucinogen. And then cool. I, I was reading another paper where they were starting to incorporate um, – uh, yeah, like mushrooms or LSD with um, cognitive behavioral therapy um, as being putting you in that highly suggestive state to sort of you know reset your uh, your your. Uh, There's whatever, a whole whatever whole lot of actual research done on it, and it, it's where it all started. But uh, I will mm. point out, of course, that. Um, there's equally as many people who have got to become highly anxious and cognitively defunct from experimenting with far too many 
yeah. mind-altering well, substances. If so you're going to do it, don't yeah. uh, do, it, As, do it sensibly. Well, the problem that I see is that human beings have very little self-control and invariably most of them probably have defunct frontal lobes in the first place. And therefore, what seems like a good idea, a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of pot, a little bit, suddenly morphs into a great big monster and they eat their brain alive. Mm. Yeah. Um, You know, I've had uh... plenty of patients who kind of started off having a bender and a party and then ended themselves in hospital with cognitive uh, decline and never been quite the same since. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, slippery slope. It is. Don't do it. Then my other favorite one, you have the um, psychiatrists who uh, provide um, electroshock therapy to reboot people's systems, which, you know, when I first heard about it was uh, sounded a bit barbaric, but you know, it, it brings people out of suicidal mm. tendencies. Now, you know, we put that down to it releases serotonin. I kind of, now that I've learned a bit more, uh, I wonder if that's really much more about resetting the network and mm. actually you know, helping drive people to to experience something. Oh, I survived that. And, th- and then this gives a bigger rush to the whole thing. Because, I mean, there's nothing like getting electrocuted to make you think, oh, oh my mm. God, that was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Well, I um, I had a, a, a patient who um, had previously had that electroshock therapy. Um, I believe it was for depression or anxiety. I can't remember mm. 100%. Usually um, intractable I, depression. I, I thought it was interesting because, um, like, she pointed to the site where they applied the um, quote-unquote therapy. Yes. Um, and it was, you know, interestingly, right over the, um, uh, like, prior to temporal occipital junction, yeah. essentially where um, one of the major networks for um, sense of self and spatial awareness lives mm-hmm. uh, and I'm pretty sure it's the posterior pole for your default mode network which yeah. is sort of your resting resting you. brain state yeah Let, so, let's um, jolt that back into existence yeah um, but um, yeah, look, hey, you know if it gets you unsuicidal yeah absolutely um, better to be here than not I, I looked at some of that stuff I think it, uh, it's Jack Elder Robertson or, or something like that um, who was a uh, high-functioning aspergic uh, and had um, the high-frequency magnetic pulse applied to his head and uh, oh. re- reset his entire personality and connected to his emotions from there. And then after a while, that sort of faded a bit into the background. But basically what he could take out of it in the books was that the electromagnetic field, this high-strength field that was applied to his head, uh, I think r- broke some of the connections in there and reconnected other parts in a in a different way, sort of reorganizing the network and allowing flow to change. And yeah. he kind of described what he'd lost as well as what he'd gained. He gained an insight into people's emotions, but he lost his ability to interface with electrical equipment. Like he could originally look at a machine of any respect and kind of innately know how it was feeling, how it was running, what was wrong with it, and how to put it back mm. together again. And it kind of seemed like his brain had, had made the emotive connections to solid mm. objects rather than to people. And after his head got zapped, he got more emotive, more people, and mm. less... Uh, so this is the guy that designed all the the fire uh, shooting guitars for Kiss and was the roadie for Kiss. Oh, yeah. So all that original uh, hardcore metal stuff that he did, he was like worked for the Pink Floyd touring company. So pretty interesting person, but he, he mm. literally described himself as having chronic anxiety all the time, not really knowing mm. what people were saying or meaning around him. So he never felt good enough or connected to anything. And after getting uh, magnetic therapy, he mm. um, was able to interconnect and manage his relationships a whole lot better. Yeah, that's interesting. I was, I was listening to a um, podcast where they were talking about um, there's there this guy who, you know, quote unquote normal guy. Um, and <laughs> whatever then, that is. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you see generic white male. Um but um, started to develop um, 
sort of sexual attractions to um, people that are a lot younger that, than they should be. So, like, and he, he sort of like, no, this is a problem I'm now starting to get, you know, aroused by, by and this is so unlike me, what the hell's going on? So, he ended up going and getting an MRI, and sure enough, there was a, a tumor growing in the wow. pedophile center of the brain. Uh, got it removed, and yep. sure enough, the um, sort of sexual urges for, um, you know, youth went. <laughs> Um, but then cut to three years later, he started to notice those same urges come back. So, went back and it had regrown and then they cut it out again and then it went away. So, it just, just uh, yeah, interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, interesting one. Shows how, how important uh, the actual brain, the network itself is rather than just the, the biochemistry. And I think if anything comes out of today's discussion, it's that I want people to be thinking about the, the beauty of the network and connection both in the body mm, as mm. well as external in your environment yeah. and to your group. External and internal connectivity. That's a, yeah. That's a rather touching way to finish the podcast, mate. Oh, didn't we do well? I think we did exceptionally. Look, we didn't manage to disperge any other professions. Uh, well done. I think I swore twice. There's, that's there's pretty a, good for still me. time. There's still time. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, fucking, 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 um, and there you go. Let's let's not. Uh, and um, well, uh, and and no wildlife seemed to interrupt the podcast too much, unlike this Brett's fucking cat last time. <laughs> uh, tag him in this one and, and say, mate, next time we do a podcast, you like do something about that cat. Yeah. Um, beautiful, mate. Any any uh, any closing thoughts? Closing remarks. Um, Usually, you've got such zen-like sayings right at the end of the. Oh, if only if only I had one. I mean, like one of my my things again. There's never a moment for not choking someone, um, but mm. that's that's more of a jujitsu thing than than a violent thing. I'm just pointing that out. Mm. Um, as I said, that that being in the moment in a five minute roll with someone really did an awful lot to help my stress levels in the last few years. Um, you know, there's there's never a moment not to consider glycerophosphocholine, GBC. Uh, mm. It helps lower people's adrenaline and boost their ability to make acetylcholine. Uh, mm. And, um, you know, sit, talk, have a coffee, have a green tea. Take the time to be in the zone with someone and actually listen. There's, yeah, that's there's, beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Find your tribe. All right, guys. Okay. Thank you for listening. See you next time. I'll look forward to it. You have a great day.